Another huge week in the travel industry. Flight Centre targets hotties, Carnival extends suspensions and offloads more ships, and a final push for AFTA's budget submission. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. Well, the travel industry is going to look very different after COVID-19, and this week Flight Centre got right on the front foot with a new initiative, which hopefully will help retain some of the amazing talent that's been displaced during the pandemic. What's the story there, Bruce? Yeah, there's no secret that hundreds and hundreds of travel agencies across the country are closing. And while there will ultimately be many less bricks and mortar outlets, that's also driving an increase in home-based agents or, you know, mobile agents. And of course, there's plenty of options for consultants wanting to go down that track. But the biggest number of closures is, of course, in Flight Centre, which earlier this year announced 428 shops are closing across the country. And that's also naturally leading to huge numbers of very experienced travel consultants being stood down and certainly looking for a new option. Uh, Flight Centre's Travel Partners brand's been very proactive in providing a way forward, and this week they launched this program called Home of the Travel Entrepreneur, or hashtag Hottie, and it's a pretty aggressive push. And I saw that they're really encouraging people to join up and making it quite easy, is that right? Yeah, they've waived all fees, both joining and any monthly subscription costs through until the 30th of June 2021. They're also offering no-cost help for agents to set up and or transition from their existing arrangements. The move's being driven by Travel Partners GM Kate Cameron and Nicole Costanton, who's well known to the industry through uh, long-time roles with Norwegian and now more recently uh, Flight Centre, and she's now taken a new role as Head of Sales for the Travel Partners brand. It's a bit of a switch from the traditional home-based agent model. They're really targeting high performers, and of course they know there's a huge amount of talent out in the market at the moment, very experienced consultants with strong relationships and databases, so they want to harness that if they can. They're also offering additional commission for domestic travel bookings to help people get going. And of course, a full suite of product from the Flight Centre stable. Kate and Nicole told me they're so excited to be offering something positive and proactive in these tough times. And they've got, you know, really strong support for hotties to market their services, communicate with customers and find new prospects. Nicole in particular said she was so passionate about this. She said there's just so much blood, sweat and tears as well as experience out there. We just can't let it go to waste. I think it's a great initiative, giving people a new option in these tough times. And on the subject of support for travel agents, I saw that there was some significant news from Expedia and Marriott this week. What's happened there? This was actually flagged about a year ago when Expedia and Marriott signed a major partnership, which at the time did raise a few eyebrows. Marriott's one of the biggest hotel groups in the world, and like all accommodation providers, they've got a big issue adapting to the new world of digital distribution, and that's obviously meant... Um, you know, working with Expedia and other OTAs. But the major problem they've had is also managing wholesale allocations and pricing, you know, under contracts and all that sort of thing, which has often meant that really cheap rates intended to incentivise group bookings a long way out by tour operators, etc., have leaked out onto direct-to-consumer websites. And that's led to the rise of businesses like Trivago and other meta-search sites, which sort of collate rates um, from various websites to find the cheapest. It just means it's a drive to the bottom. Everyone's competing against themselves. And in the end, it's really creating a confusing playing field. This deal with Expedia saw Marriott essentially appoint Expedia as the sole source of all wholesale rates for any of its hotels across the world through any channel. Expedia pitched its ability to manage the technology and ensure that that leakage didn't happen. It's taken a while for it to be implemented, but basically this week it looks like it's sorted. And that in particular means that those uh, very cheap wholesale rates are now available to travel agents via the Expedia Travel Agent Affiliate Program. 
and in fact, other bed banks, accommodation aggregators, etc., they've also got to go via Expedia to get those prices, which should mean that travel agents can actually offer better or equivalent pricing than general OTA bookings, make better margins and, you know, be competitive. In Travel Daily this week, we exclusively revealed a new domestic product range from Crooked Compass founder, Lisa Pigotto. That was a really good news story. What did she announce? Yeah, Lisa's a real industry innovator who, rather than putting her head in the sand through COVID-19, has done a real pivot with Crooked Compass uh, in launching this new domestic touring product uh, involving private aircraft. It's called Adventure by Air, um, and it's kicked off with a website and an initial portfolio of eight itineraries, which can be fully customised, very high-end, gives passengers the opportunity to experience some of the best properties and experiences and activities in Australia. Hopefully, it'll really tap into that ongoing desire for people to travel despite border closures. And what sort of trips are they offering? Well, the flagship journey is a 32-day trip across the country by private aircraft, exploring the length and breadth of Australia. It's not cheap, priced from 147000 per person, but that's the sort of money some people spend on a world cruise. I'm sure it's going to be really successful. At the cheaper end, they also offer mystery flights for spontaneous travellers. They're available from airports right across the country, whisking people away to a secret destination where they'll get exclusive dining and a local touring experience, priced from about $1,700 for a couple of days. It's a really exciting initiative and an example of how this awful crisis is driving innovation and new product development. And also on the domestic front, I saw that there are plans to, uh, pardon the pun, help fill the big gap in the gap year market this year. Yeah, there's been a federal parliamentary inquiry into the Working Holiday Maker program, which usually sees about 150,000 people a year coming to Australia from around the world, um, you know, aged under 30 or under 35, depending on where they're coming from. It's a really important scheme because under the program, those people, they have to work in designated industries that need workers, seasonal workers like agriculture and tourism, but they get paid while they're here. And in most cases, nearly everything they earn gets spent on pretty high yielding touring and activities invested in the in the local market. And of course, that's all stopped due to COVID-19. And the committee during the inquiry handed out their recommendations this week. And part of that included encouraging Aussie young people to consider a gap year at home because obviously they can't head overseas this year. They're also proposing a bunch of incentives as well as a marketing campaign, plus for the overseas backpackers, a bunch of changes to the visa requirements so they can stay here longer if they're stuck and also to make it make it easier for people from overseas to come in when the restrictions ease. Unfortunately, it's pretty early days yet. They're just recommendations, but maybe we'll see something announced in the upcoming budget. Lights, camera, action. After a massive response to the inaugural Travel Daily Awards, the voting has closed, the winners are currently being collated and the trophies are being created. More than 600 nominations were received, which we whittled down to the finalists and now the winners will be announced online on the 30th of September. Keep watching upcoming issues of Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly on how to follow the announcements on the day. And congratulations to everyone involved. We have to announce winners, but we really do believe that everyone deserves a trophy for surviving the last six months. And moving on to cruising, this week in Cruise Weekly, we've had a lot of significant updates, particularly from Carnival Corporation. What's happening there? Yes, being publicly listed, Carnival Corporation has to report its results every three months, and the figures for the quarter ending 31st of August came out this week, and they really were not pretty. Uh, the company lost another $1.7 billion in the last three months, but they've also announced a bunch of changes, including more ships departing from the fleet. And so how many are they getting rid of now? 
Now, I think that her total's up to 18. That's five more than they had previously announced. But interestingly, while those 18 ships represent about 12% of the company's total capacity across all of its brands pre-COVID, they actually only accounted for 3% of revenue. So basically, they're taking the opportunity to reshape the fleet uh, for more efficient assets, if you like, with the ones they're removing producing lower profits than other ships that are staying on. They've also delayed a bunch of future deliveries. That'll help them manage their debts a bit better, with some ships pushed out a year or two, because I guess they expect capacity growth to be a bit slower once the pandemic passes. And so that means that they can pay down debt uh, rather than having to pay for new ships being delivered sooner. What are the implications of this on the Australian market? We're not really sure at this stage. They haven't said exactly which ships they're cutting or the brands that they're from, but definitely the family-focused Carnival Cruise Line brand has been affected, with three of its fantasy-class ships sadly currently being dismembered in a wrecking yard in Turkey. What we did hear for the Australian market is a significant delay in the restart of cruises out of Brisbane aboard Carnival Spirit, which had previously been expected to be one of the first ships to home port out of the new Brisbane International Cruise Terminal, which of course has had its opening Uh, delayed due to the pandemic. Carnival Spirit now won't resume Brisbane departures until the 27th of June 2021, so really nine months away, while Carnival's also delayed the resumption of Sydney cruises aboard Carnival Splendour until the 7th of January. Moving on to other cruise news, we reported that Herdegruten is turning its back on growing its footprint in Victoria. What's happened there? Yeah, this was a pretty gutsy move by Hurtigruten MD Damien Perry, who only set up the company's Melbourne operations a couple of years ago. Basically, with all the shutdowns and the ongoing uncertainty about the Victorian market, the state of emergency, etc., he's saying he believes business conditions are ultimately going to be better in Sydney. Hurtigruten's landlord in Melbourne also has space in Sydney, so basically they're going to rejig their lease and any future expansion will be in New South Wales. I think it's a, you know, a bit political, a bit of a slap in the face to Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews, he said the ongoing uncertainty is just making it too hard to operate in Victoria, too hard for businesses. And to wrap up this podcast, while we're on the subject of politics, what's the latest on the chances of support for the travel industry from government to help us all survive this COVID-19 crisis? Yep, well, this is truly crunch time. The budget gets handed down in just over two weeks, so AFTA and, and other players are doing their darndest to get everyone to push their local fe- federal MP and make them aware of the situation. There were some really great tips from Joe Francis and Christine Ross-Davies in yesterday's issue of Travel Daily. And of course, there's a full mobilisation kit with scripts, statistics, charts, etc., and other resources on the AFTA website. Fingers and toes crossed. Also on the political front this week, we saw some unfortunately fairly ham-fisted attempts by Flight Centre Graham Turner and Hello World Chief Andrew Burns to influence the reopening of borders, particularly the Queensland border. They went public, and Virgin and Qantas were involved as well, urging border openings, which we all know are needed. But the reality is, I think, that the industry needs state premiers on its side. Just embarrassing politicians with front-page stories in the Courier-Mail and on TV, unfortunately, I think it's only going to get up their noses. It's just my opinion, but I really don't think it was helpful And when you've got the CEOs of these travel businesses coming onto politicians like a pack of wolves, urging a resumption of travel, many in the general community just see them as vested interests, particularly when one of those politicians they're attacking is a Labor Premier and and the people attacking her is a prominent member of the Liberal Party. So let's just hope it hasn't set things back too much. Yikes. Let's hope so. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you again for listening. Stay up to date with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly. As always, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.